Welcome to Antioch. We are a multi-generational, justice-minded church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the Word of God turn your heart toward Christ and the world He loves. As we move from gathering to listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 6. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mandel. Well, church, I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Uh, Dr. Gary Brashears is here with us. He's been uh, about once a year uh, speaker for Antioch for many, many years, and grateful to have him back again today. If you don't know, Gary uh, is a professor of theology at Western Seminary up in Portland. How long have you been doing that, Gary? 43 years, So, which is amazing because he's only 55. So... Um, <laughs> But Gary is, without a doubt, one of the most trusted and influential uh, theologians uh, that I know, and pretty much every pastor that I know uh, really values his, his work, his input, his perspective. I don't think such a thing exists, but I think we all kind of wear an imaginary WWGBD uh, bracelet. What would Gary Bashirs do? And... Uh, and he really, really has been uh, formative in my life, in ministry, and uh, I'm grateful for him and his willingness to come. So will you welcome Gary Brashears? Thanks, Pete. WWGB, like weird. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my older son turns 55 here in a couple months. So I think you've kind of confused me with Don. Now, I just got to know, how many Chiefs fans? Chiefs. 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 Come on. How many 49ers fans? How many, I'm not going to watch the game at all. How many Taylor and Kelsey fans? <laughs> My 60-year-old granddaughter uh, says, you know, she wants to call him trailer. And there's another word that often associates with that, because she doesn't like Taylor Swift. 
So she thinks trailer trash. Everybody wants to know, will a proposal happen today? And so I, I, last time I was here, I was talking about the uh, role of cancer in my life. Just over two years ago, I, we, I was diagnosed with bladder cancer, which is why there was blood in my urine. Being a guy, I figured I would go away. Well, it didn't. Uh, they did a CAT scan to cover had bladder cancer. Wow. And at the same point, they saw distributed nodules in my lungs, which could only be uh, melanoma, had metastasized from a spot up here in my forehead. And uh, so I've been on doing immunotherapy for a couple of years. And between immunotherapy and prayers of thousands of people, I, I'm sad to say that there's no activity in my brain. <laughs> Sherry's thought that for a long time. Uh, and then just recently I discovered that I had a third cancer, squamish cell skin cancer. I don't know how many people deal with three different cancers in two years, but here I am. Yeah. But I just want to say uh, I've had support from a lot of different people, including a number of you who have been praying for me. And uh, at this point I am cancer free as far as we can tell. So, yeah. And I just, you know, thank you for that. I, so what I want to do here is think together this morning a little bit with this passage, because it's just, uh, when it came up in the liturgical thing, I was glad for that, because this is one of these passages that just intrigues me. And I'd like to think through it, so if you've got a phone or a Bible, pull it out, because we're going to spend some time looking at this and a few other things, and it's just one of those passages that, I, well, if I'm being a a provocative person, which I've been known to do on occasion. Uh, I just ask people, especially in a smaller thing where I can do interaction, I say, are you glorious? And you say what? Yes. Why do you say yes? Why do you say yes? Maybe I should say, why do you say no? What does this passage say? At the end of verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18, we with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory being transformed into his image with what? Ever-increasing glory. See, this is why this passage is so provocative. Because you just read a prayer of confession that said, I am broken, I am sinful, and all kinds of things like that. This is saying that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are ever increasing glory. And I want to think about this, we look at it together. Because Paul's talking about the message that he has, which is a message that we have here, uh, those of us who are followers of Jesus, and I don't assume all of you are, that there's a message here, and this message gets stopped. So I want to stop, I want to first look at this passage and think what are the things that stop the message that you're ever increasingly glorious? And one of them shows up in chapter 4, verse 1. Since and through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And one of the reasons that this message doesn't come is discouragement. I was much intrigued with the Carlson's 
who would turn down a family like that for being foster parents? Come on! And waiting. My older son Don, who's about to turn 55, and Susan couldn't have children. They tried everything. She has a varian cystic disease and some other things, and infertile. They tried everything. They decided not to go with in vitro or something like that. They decided not to do adoption, so I started doing foreign exchange students. So I've got a, I've got a lot of exchange, foreign exchange grandkids. <laughs> and then one day of, a few years ago, Susan was dying. They couldn't figure out why. They just knew that she was in severe trouble and they were trying to diagnose it, could not diagnose it. And they finally found the diagnosis. She was 39 weeks pregnant. And everybody says, she was how pregnant? <laughs> 39 weeks means what? Full term. How many women do not know they've got a baby in their womb at 39 weeks? Well, Susan was one of those. She never felt little girl brochures moving, ever. And she was dying of preeclampsia. Once they diagnose it, they deal with it, and 10 days later, Elizabeth, now Elizabeth, crawled out, except she didn't. She had to be cut out emergency C-section because she's in fetal distress. And they delivered, she'd aspirated meconium, which is fecal material that comes out in the womb, it coats the lungs, and she spent the first month of her life on a high-velocity respirator trying to keep her from dying. Discouragement with children, with life, stops the gloriousness. That's the first thing, verse 4.1. A second thing comes up in 4.2. Paul says, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. And what happens here is that many people who claim the gospel of Jesus Christ do with deception, and it's terrible. I worked with uh, Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill. We co-authored books together. I was a profound influence in his life. In the middle section of that church, things were going really well. And then they turned and it became more, he bought into the gospel that he was the man. And he became controlling, power hungry, and it was a real problem. It's been chronicled. And in that process, the thing that struck me is how many people were part of that church that had been discipled by Mark and Mars Hill that when the church crashed and the stuff came out of his power and such, how many of the people who were part of that church abandoned the gospel completely and left the faith of Jesus Christ? Now, I don't think Mark was deceiving people, but he fell into a way of deceit that although he's proclaiming the gospel and living a faithful life with his family, got involved in I'm the message and began to power through into the way of humility. And it cost him a lot. Cost. But how many people were devastated and lost the gloriousness of the gospel because of the failure of a powerful pastor? That's a defeater to this growth in gloriousness. 
There's a third one. Down in, uh, well, actually, let me say one more thing. How many of you heard of Mike Todd back in Oklahoma? Yeah, he would. Uh, he's Freedom Church. Uh, it's, it's a, it's, if you follow stuff, especially on the more Pentecostal side of the world, Mike Todd's big name. And here recently, he had gone on a fitness kick, lost quite a bit of weight, and started doing marathons and things like that. And he did a sermon here about three weeks ago where he was challenging people to the sin of gluttony. Good thing or bad thing? Gluttony, good thing or bad thing? No, it's a good thing. Man, I mean, let's have some Blake Steer steak, Pete. <laughs> but what he did in this sermon is kind of typical of Mike Todd, and I've never met the man, and he is proclaiming the gospel. But in this process, he set up a stage with all kinds of stuff, and in the process of his sermon, he was trying to show how we adulterate the gospel with our, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. He opened his Bible, picked up a can of whipped cream, and sprayed it all over his Bible. Then he picked up a big current of syrup and poured it all over his Bible. And what did you think of that? Bad. I mean, come on. I mean, he's making a point dramatically. But see, that's, a, that's not the way you proclaim the truth of Scripture, it seems to me. I'm not criticizing. I am criticizing him. <laughs> but see, if, if you're into the, I mean, you can use things like that that actually compromise the message. And that's what I like about Pete is, and what you're doing here at Antioch is that's not the way you're doing things. A third thing, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of, it says unbelievers here, but he has impact on believers as well. The God of this age is the God who says, live by your feelings. The God of this age said, dare to think for yourself. Don't be dependent. Don't let people tell you what to do. The phrase in the Bible is, do what's right in your own eyes. And see, that defeats the gospel that makes you glorious. Because the gospel that makes you glorious is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says we yield to his lordship, and he defines ultimately what's good and evil, what's good and bad. The command of the Lord is to love your enemies. How does that go over in today's world? Do you think Donald Trump loves Joe Biden and vice versa? No, they're busy destroying each other. And see, in our world, and many in the church have bought into it, the God of this world says, consolidate power to yourself and crush your enemies. Use your passions for immediate fulfillment and excitement. And the God of this age, which is, I am the center of the world, my world, is blinding the eyes of people to move toward the gloriousness of Jesus Christ. The God of this world is, what's his name? 
What's his name? What? No, not me. I mean, he plays into the me thing. But who is the God of this world? Satan or the devil. Those are actually titles, not names. See, the God of this world is the prince of darkness and the other spiritual beings associated with him. And they're very, very, very influential. In our world, we've moved from when I came to Portland in 1980, where liberal Christianity was the civil religion of Portland. Now paganism is the civil religion of Portland. Consolidate power, crush your enemies, use your passions for immediate fulfillment and immediate excitement. The God of Jesus Christ said use power to serve the least of these. Use power to serve the helpless. Use power to serve the hurting at cost of my own comfort. And to focus your passions for the sake of godly relationships. Paganism has become a civil religion of Portland at least. I don't know about Bend. How's, how's the God of this world doing in Bend? A fourth thing, verse 6, verse 5, for what we preach is not ourselves. See, that relates to the God of this world. And I hear a lot of preachers who preaching themselves and who's what we call celebrity pastors. They're trying to make a name for themselves and they're trying to be the messenger and that misplaced focus on personality and rhetoric and excitement uh, impedes the gospel of gloriousness. So four things here, discouraged heart, compromised message, people don't respond, it discourages, and then finally the personal focus impede and stop the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of glory? Let's go back again, starting back at verse 4, verse 1. We have this ministry in all of his heart. Rather, we have renounced the secret and shameful way. We do not use deception. We distort the word of God. On the contrary, setting forth truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now look at this. Even if our gospel is veiled, those who are perishing, the God of the sages blind the minds of believers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. The gospel of what? Displays what? The glory of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel, is the glory of Jesus Christ. And I think who this is, this one whom we worship as Lord, who began as second person of the Trinity, God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. Well, Jesus is their maker of heaven and earth with him. Ultimate goodness, ultimate privilege, ultimate power, ultimate everything. And he left it all behind to do what? to come be born as a little baby, like this cutie love down here that's been distracting me big time. <laughs> this happy grandfather, yeah. 
be born as a baby, the king of the universe comes to this earth and who greets him? Who greets him when he comes, the king of the universe comes to this earth? Who? Shepherds and people from way over there, long ways away. Who does not greet the king of the universe when he comes to this earth? The high priest, the king of Jerusalem. The glory comes so much that angels gather together and sing the glory and the rulers of this age ignore him. The king of the universe comes in to insult. Shortly after that, angel warns Joseph and says, don't go back to Jerusalem and Nazareth because Herod's trying to kill him. So I go to Egypt. What's the status of the Israelite in Egypt in those days? Well, think of Syrian refugees living in Germany. Think of undocumented Mexicans living in our city. He knows what it's like to live as a foreigner, stranger, and an alien. The king of the universe. And he goes back to Nazareth. The king of the universe, in all of his glory, is on the playground with the boys. And what do the boys do to boy Jesus? Hey, Jesus, where's your daddy? What do you call that? Bullying. The king of the universe subjects himself to bullying from boys in the playground. Why? so we can see his glory. Not in angels singing, but in the glory come to live among us and like us, to show us how to overcome. Goes to Jerusalem. The high priest arrests him, puts him in the back room with soldiers, and they beat him, all of him. I'm absolutely committed to the idea that Jesus was sexually assaulted in that back room by the soldiers. So they didn't just beat his head. And he went to a cross. And he said, if I be lifted up on a cross, you will see the glory of God. How is that the glory in his crucifixion? His commitment to have us escape the blinding of self-centeredness and the blinding of the God of this world and the discouragement of a life that does not go well because in his crucifixion, we see how much God cares about this world. He dies, as we say, said in the creed, and then what happens after his death? He does what? Raises to life. To bring the life of God into this world that we can share. The highest, best, final good of the good news is the glory of Christ. And we tell that story of who he is to remind ourselves in the midst of all the discouragement, all the things that don't go well, all the self-centeredness that's true in our world, that there's a better way of consolidating power to serve and living a life of humility. Is the goddess age still at work in us to blind us to that glory? The answer is yeah. Yeah. 
See, one of the things that I think about as a pastor and theologian is who's in charge of this world? Well, according to Jesus, who is the prince of this world? Who is the prince of this world? Satan. Is it any surprise when this world of occupied territory that things don't go well? But see, the lie is, and this is what Satan does to us, is God is good, and if he's good and powerful, things ought to go well for you. If it's not going well for you, it's because he doesn't care or he's too busy to do anything or it's too powerless to do anything. So he takes his stuff, blame shits to God, and blinds our eyes to the glory of what lives in this world because we're putting kingdom outposts of generosity, justice, beauty, hope, courage, faithfulness, service in a world that is run by Satan. It's no surprise that things don't go well in this world because Jesus came to defeat the God of this world. He won the decisive victory at the cross. But we're in a huge battle, Revelation chapter 12 tells us. He goes on, who takes away the blindness? Who takes away the blinding impact of self-centeredness that works well in this world generally? Well, I come back to chapter 3, verse 17. I mean, this is such an incredible passage. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, not talking about Moses on the mountain when he has to come down because he's shining with glory. He puts a veil over his face to veil the glory, and then when the glory fades, he keeps the veil for hypocrisy's sake. Bad idea. We contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And see, that's what I want for this church that I've been uh, a part of in some ways for a long time, my church, Grace Community Church back in Gresham, other churches I work with, is that we are contemplating the face of the Lord of glory and being transformed to ever-increasing glory. But what that looks like is willing to take on the hurt of the world, to give up our comfort, to give up our advantages for the sake of the worthless-to-me person, because that's what Jesus did, and that's the way of glory. And what it says also here is that God uses messengers of the word to open the eyes of the blind. Now, Paul's talking about himself here and the things that he doesn't do and the things that he does do. And in his own testimony back in Acts chapter 16, he says to the king there, I'm sending you, to, Jesus speaking to Paul, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's Jesus' message to Paul. And then Paul has this message, what he's talking about here, which he brings in word, well, actually in deed and word, to people who are still living under the God of this age. And this is the thing that strikes me in this passage, 
is that we who are just kind of ordinary people have the possibility of being messengers who can help people escape the blinding impact of the self-centeredness of Satan and the God of this world. And the message that I find when I ponder this particular passage, which I take personally as an old man, I just turned 77. Unfortunately, when I was on the airplane going back to Nashville, I should have been on a Boeing 777. <laughs> I was actually an Airbus 321. As an old man, being long-term faithful to the gospel to help people see the glory of Jesus Christ is a privilege that I have. If you got your Bibles open there, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read this with you and let you look at it if you've got it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul speaking here to, in one of his final letters to his young disciple, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the end of that chapter, starting at verse 24. 2 Timothy chapter 2, follow with me if you've got it there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to what? What does that say about chiefs to 49ers? <laughs> what does that say about Democrats to Republicans? What does it say and put in whatever you have there? See, the God of this world says they're, they're just bad. <clears throat> kind to everyone, able to teach, not, res not resentful. Resentment is the key thing of the God of this world. I have been offended and I'm resentful, I'm bitter and I'm angry and Paul says, no, 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 no. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That applies to both Christians and non-Christians. And what I want to finish with here today is a call to those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ. First of all, to contemplate the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ, to be transformed into ever-increasing glory, the glory like that of Jesus Christ, who is the beauty of the gospel. And in, in that ever-increasing glory, to turn to those who have been taken captive by the devil to the self-centered, angry, outrage, resentment that characterizes the age today, which is the way of the devil, and work with them by character, by actions, by words, and be the messenger of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to help people escape the snare of the devil and join this ever-increasing glory. That's what we do today. This is the word of the Lord for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, faithful, loving, forgiving, just. 
Jesus, thank you for leaving all the throne of glory to live in the worst of this world to show us what it's like to live as a faithful, glorious presence. We want to see you and be like you. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see those wicked things in us that are impeding the glory, growth, and I just pray for everyone here that we'd come together in veil with unveiled faces, contemplate your glory to be transformed from glory to glory as the Lord of Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.